What's going on, peeps? We are back for the MMA Logcast. This isn't really a live episode, uh, or at least I should, I should say not the regular live episode that you guys are used to. I just want to get this content out for you guys. I got a couple um, pre-recorded breakdowns, but by a couple, I mean two. Uh, so when I get to those fights, I'll actually play them for you guys because I felt like I laid it out perfectly in those actual breakdowns rather than doing it for you guys live here. Um, I did just record the Zingano and Parker breakdown as well, but I was having issues, hence the delay here. I was having issues in terms of processing it. So I'll just do that one live for you guys. Um, but I have the Porto and Carmouche one pre-recorded, and I have the Bader and Machida one pre-recorded, and I'll play those ones for you. I'll play those ones for you guys uh, very shortly, or sorry, once I get to those fights. But yeah, I wanted to drop this for you guys as soon as possible. Your boy pretty much pulled an all-nighter to make sure they got the entire card done with. I'm going to be going over the prelims pretty briefly. Uh, I don't want to get too in-depth with them. There are a lot of squash matches. That's pretty much Bellator 101, as you guys already know, especially from the last uh, event that we saw last week. Um, I, I don't think the, the heavy favorites this week are as safe as they were last week, but they are definitely some ones that are like definitely worth the minus 800s or uh, minus 500s ranges that they're currently in. Um and I got a ton of other content, uh, live content to you coming to you guys today. So we're going to be doing uh, 12 o'clock at noon is when the UFC weigh-in starts. So I want to be sure that I'm done at least with 20 minutes to spare for, for that stream. But I'll be going live for the UFC weigh-ins. I'm going to be watching it live. I got, you know, a nice little thing uh, set up for you guys so we can watch it, you know, see how the guys look as they're weighing in in real time. And then we can just talk shit in the chat. You know what I mean? That's, that's kind of what I want to do. I just want to have another hub for you guys to come and just watch the weigh-ins if you guys are free and able to and uh just talk some shit you know i mean I, I we got a great community here and shout out to everybody that's already in the fucking chat you guys are killing it um and again i just want to provide a community for you guys to just come and watch some stuff and again even if it's just fucking weigh-ins uh, i got the time now right i'm doing your boys doing this full time now so i might as well go out there and uh give you guys the free content whenever i'm able to all right let's see what the chat is saying real quick and then i'll actually jump into the, into the card for you guys uh, one sec. I just wanted to pull up. <clears throat> by the way, you bet your ass I'm fueled by some coffee right now. There's no way I can do this without coffee. I used to do energy drinks a lot, but I, I can't do that anymore. I mean, I, I got to get my health and all that shit in check. And uh, the first thing is to drop those energy drinks. They're nothing but bad for you. So I'd rather stick with the coffee here. We got my guy Wongi77 in the chat already. He's on that machine train. You guys will find out shortly what train I'm on. <clears throat> uh, Jace, <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> Jace Fabian, Bellator has been money. Their matchups always favor the paper more than the reality that is MMA. Anything can happen, so always profitable. Exactly. Pretty much every favorite won last, won last week, right? Outside of, well, Jason Jackson, I believe, was the favorite. I might be mistaken there. And then Kana Watanabe pulls off the upset. I went 5-0 and on the main cards. I didn't do the prelims, uh, but I probably would have swept the card as well. 
James Corden saying breakfast with Locke. You're having breakfast with me tomorrow too. If you guys know that I do the live uh fight day live chat as well. We have an early card, early UFC card tomorrow. It starts at noon Eastern time. So I'm gonna be doing my fight day live chat at 10 a.m. Eastern tomorrow. So you're gonna have two back-to-back -back days. Breakfast breakfast with Locke. Appreciate you guys joining me. Uh is saying, I've been killing the content. I'm full time. What am I supposed to do? Of course, I gotta do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you, you called it yourself. Uh, Brian Timko, amazing to have this level of commentary for Bellator from Laka. For sure, brother. I want to put more time into it. Like I, again, this since I went full time, we have back to or three straight weekends. Actually, I lied. Two straight weekends of uh, Bellator and UFC weekends, right? Where we have Bellator on Friday, UFC on Saturday. So in terms of content and trying to make sure that I study everything as thoroughly as possible it's getting me a little bit of behind schedule but i'm hoping that i can catch up and i believe next week is the last one i could be off uh in terms of a ufc and bellator you know back-to-back -back days but uh yeah I i'm doing my best to get ahead of schedule so i can provide you guys with the content that you guys require tim triano is saying full-time luck exactly uh never was saying yo you're doing a fight companion this weekend I probably won't, man. I just want to chill, chill, kick back and and chill. It is during the day, and it is my pops' birthday uh, tomorrow as well. So I'm just going to watch the fights and then just get with the family and all that. I'm not trying to get too wrecked or too crazy, but uh, I appreciate the support for sure. Uh, do, 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 do. Some solution is saying, what's the lock of the night? Unfortunately... I gotta save that for my Patreon members. Again, the 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 policy that I've been going with ever since I started this whole lock of the night thing about four years ago is I'm not a full tout, but if I'm on a three fight three event winning streak, I only um, give my picks to my Patreons Patreon members. If you guys want to support it and support the show and support your boy, five bucks a month is all I ask. That's that's what the the Patreon is, and you get all my official picks, even when I'm charging the public like I currently am. Uh, and then again, a, a ton of other great content on there. So I apologize that I can't be so transparent about my lock of the night plays this weekend. But once I hit a losing event, then I'll go back to free picks until I hit three straight winning events again. So right now, though, I'm on a five event winning streak. So I got to keep that shit rolling. James Corey saying body language at weigh-ins is something I strongly consider. I agree. Uh, looking forward to seeing how much Joe Slecky has improved since his last fight. That's Elite Shadow 47. I believe that. Uh, Yo, was saying, how soon will you get these videos uploaded to podcasts? You got that video of additional con connect up quick. Um, if you guys prefer the audio podcast, yeah, I'll I'll try to pretty much roll everything all over to the audio platforms as well as soon as I can. Pretty much as soon as the stream is done. Don't forget the towel is saying good morning. Good morning to you, brother. Uh, Dirk Z is saying, Grace, you should have won. Terrible ref. I I'm lucky that I was on the right side there. Connor Chiachia is saying, holy shit, it starts at 12 tomorrow. Yes, sure. Early early start tomorrow. Nevro, is this the Wayne show? The Wayne show will be at 12. So I'm just going to rifle through Bellator with you guys right now. And then I'll start another stream for 12 o'clock. Jet, Jets Booty 69 Gaming saying, Breakfast Club, you know it. Moise Audio saying, Prop Show is too long. You need to make it more efficient. Uh, I think people are enjoying it the way that it is, to be honest. I, I get what you're saying in terms of, you know, we do hit that two-hour mark for sure, uh, but but it's hard to kind of cap myself and, and Cody. Like, kind of both like to talk, and some people seem to like it. But, yeah, I'll definitely try to keep that in mind moving forward. I do have the uh, the timestamps, though. Uh, 
Uh, I'll always put the timestamps up right after I'm done the stream. So if you want to go to a specific fight, you're more than welcome to do that. Uh, James Corey saying, would Hanabi pick was gold? They made a sweat with a bu bullshit split decision. Yeah, I thought he won that. Uh, yes, Ben Peak, letting you guys know, please do hit that like. Uh, Pascal Gibault is saying, I love the prop show, how it is. I appreciate it, buddy. Uh, Wangi77, I, I enjoy that you guys go in depth more on props. It's a lot of fun. All right, all right, all right, all right. Jace Fabian is saying, the prop show is the shit. It's all right. I'm sorry, Moise. I got to let you know. <laughs> That's my guy. Had the golden horse show up my ass. We can belt or also prop show is awesome. Go three to four hours if you want. All right. We can't go three to four hours, but I'll try to keep it at least at two hours. All right, let's let's get into the Bellator uh, uh, picks right here real quick. Um, again, I don't want to spend too much time on the prelims. Most of them are squash matches, and rightfully so. So starting off with uh, John Duma versus Will Smith, and not the fresh Prince Will Smith, but Mr. Will Smith, who's three and two in the in in the uh, in his pro career, going up against John Duma, who's four and two himself. I do favor John Duma in this fight, hence why he is the prohibitive favorite right now uh minus 505 his line continues to climb as the week is going on uh, i think his wrestling will be the the x factor in this fight will smith doesn't show the greatest takedown defense he will have the advantage in the striking realm but i do trust john duma to uh continuously get this fight to the ground and either grind this fight out or find his way to a submission victory or a ground and pound victory you know will smith had a lot of trouble in that fight against um trying to uh lucas brennan uh, but I do believe that Brendan is a better version of John Doma. Uh, with that said, I still believe that Doma will be successful in dragging this fight to the ground and getting that submission victory. Again, I'm going to be rifling through these uh, these these uh, prelims for you guys because they are squash matches. There's no need for me to spend five to six minutes on that shit. All right, next up, we got the uh, the UF or sorry, the Bellator debut of Diana Afsaragova. Uh, going up against Tara Graf. If you guys know Afsara Gova, she's actually um, the, the the training partner and I think best friend of Liana Jojua. Uh, both of these women have been uh, sticking together pretty much the entire time. And even when coming over to the U.S. now to train together, uh, they're going to the same gym. I believe they're at Long Island MMA. Um, I believe that's under Ray Longo and those guys. Um, so, yeah, they're just trying to stay together. And uh, what I only have one fight available in terms of tape for Deanna when it comes to MMA. She is only 2-0, so she has only two fights uh, in the MMA scene, professional MMA scene. But I do lean Deanna here. She shows a strong wrestling game, uh, good takedowns, good trips, good throws. The, the issue with the one fight that we have is it seemed like there was some sort of rule in place where they were only allowed to spend a certain amount of time on the ground before the fight did get stood up. But... She pretty much found the takedown any and uh, every single time the fight was uh, stood up, and she was doing some good damage on the uh, on the ground against her opponent. She seemed very strong there. She seemed a little bit green. Well, not just a little bit. She's two and zero. Oh. She's twenty. Uh, I gotta confirm. I believe she's twenty one years old. She's twenty two right now. She'll be twenty three in August. But her striking definitely needs some work. She looks very stiff on the feet. She looks like she could definitely use a little bit more work there. But her shining star is that grappling game. Uh, so I, I expect her to do that exactly here against Tara Graf, who seems to be a little bit more tested, you know what I mean, in terms of having like a, a legitimate amateur record. Um, well, then again, not legitimate, but at least a tenured amateur record. She went in, uh, she finished her amateur career five and five, and now she has a one and two pro MMA record, uh, most recently getting knocked out 
by Valerie Laredo uh, or Lareda last time around in August of 2020. That was a fight where she pretty much came into that uh, fight with a with a bit of a big mouth, really giving uh, Valerie the the shit when we're talking about you know she's just showing off her booty, she's just trying to you know blah blah blah. She's not really a, a true fighter. Um, and then she got her shit kicked in. So very unfortunate for her. I'm expecting Deanna to go out there and ragdoll this girl, take her to the ground relatively easily, and then start doing work from on top. But by no means am I willing to parlay her at the crazy minus 11 to 75 uh, mark that she's at. Now, there's other guys on this card that are 1-0, 2-0, 3-0, and they're in their professional career, and they are way more deserving of this uh, high chalky line. But Deanna leaves so much to be desired still that's very hard to go out there and justify parlaying her at those odds, especially considering the low amount of value that she actually adds to a parlay. So uh, please, for, for my sake, don't parlay her. Do not parlay Deanna tonight. She might win and she might make it look easy, but it adds little to no value considering the skill set that she has and the uh and the work that she still has to do to go out there and uh, you know actually compete and and perform to the level of a minus eleven seventy five. So yeah, I do like Deanna though. I'll take her to win probably either by decision or maybe a ground and pound finish, as she does have some mean ground and pound. Um, but way too big of a favorite. I'm skipping out on this fight. What's the over under at? We got the under two and a half at minus two hundred. So. We're, Pretty much the odds makers are expecting her to go out there and ragdoll Tara Graf just as I am. But uh, again, odds way too much for me to confidently go out there and back her as a, as a parlay piece. Next up, we got a little bit more of a closer fight between Nainoa Adung against Izzy Williams. Izzy Williams, poor guy, four and three in his UFC or in his pro MMA career, but he's had to go up against. Uh, Orion Kosi, that is the brother of Luis Kosi, both those guys heavily touted from the California scene uh, and pretty much threw in Izzy Williams there as a uh, pretty much as a toss up fight as just, uh, you know, uh, let me build off of this. Uh, he gets finished in that fight. And then he goes up against Jordan Levitt, where he's just not in his most recent fight. And that was February of 2020. So just over a year ago. And that was a fight where he just could not stop the takedowns of Jordan Levitt, no matter how poor those takedown attempts looked. Um, I, <clears throat> it, it's very, it's very tough for Izzy Williams considering the level of competition that he's gone up against. And, and then look at the rest of his opponents, the ones that he's actually getting wins off of five and eight, five and four, two and one. I don't have access to those fights. I only had access to the Levitt, Kosi, and one of his uh, amateur fights. And I just wasn't impressed with the guy. He seems like he has a decent striking game with a lot of power in his hands, but it doesn't seem like he has, does the best job of truly connecting on it. Dung, on the other hand, shows. One of my favorite techniques in the MMA game, which is that calf kick, and he seems to have a smoother striking game than Izzy Williams, which is why I believe he is the favorite in this spot. Uh, we got him at minus 155. It seems like the line is starting to close a little bit, but uh, I, I do favor Dung. I think the odds makers do have it correct here. I think he is smoother on the feet. I think he has a lot more tools in his basket, and uh, I think Izzy Williams is going to struggle with that type of... Uh, with that type of uh, work, I, I think it's really going to be hard for Izzy Williams to get his game going. Uh, Nainawa Dung should definitely have him covered uh, in the striking realm here. I'd be kind of surprised if we see this fight hit the ground. Maybe that's an, a path to victory that Izzy Williams is going to look to kind of take advantage of. Uh, but I think he's going to struggle with that. And we'll see Dung go out there and either get a TKO finish or uh, at least I'll point him all the way to a decision victory. 
All right, let's move on to the next fight. We got a minus, what is it, minus 700 here, and Jalen Bates going up against Jeff, Jeffrey uh, Glossner, who's plus 460. And this is one of those guys that I believe is worthy of being a minus 700. This kid looks good. Now, I have access to some of his earlier amateur fights where he's uh, going in there and absolutely dummying some of these kids. But I was quite quite impressed with seeing him go 15 hard rounds or 15 hard minutes uh, against his last opponent in his, UFC, or in his Bellator debut. Uh, and actually his professional MMA debut. The kid's name was uh, Joe Sapino, who was also making his MMA debut, uh, and he ragged all the guy. You know what I mean? He has a good grappling game, uh, solid takedowns, good jiu-jitsu as well, is able to ride his opponents from on top and really transition pretty effortlessly throughout those motions, and uh, you know, and he has a solid uh, striking game. I did see him get dropped a couple times while on the feet in the amateur scene, and it seems like Glossner has some decent power in his hands, so that's something that Jalen Bates is going to have to worry about. However, I think he will be successful in getting this fight to the ground with relative ease and then really start to go from work, go to work from there. So whether it's a, you know, a ground and pound finish or a decision victory, uh, I'm more so leaning the decision victory here for Jalen Bates. I think he goes out there and absolutely grinds this fight out. Uh, Jeffrey Gossner, he he did show uh, you know takedown deficiencies and and not the greatest get up game against Jose Avalos in his first pro MMA fight and that was January of 2018. So we're talking about over three years ago. Maybe he's made some improvements. Uh, the most recent fight he had was in November of 2019, where he got a 10 second knockout over an O and O guy. So not too much to really extract from that. The one fight that I wish we could get access to was the Anthony Jimenez fight. Uh, that guy is now 5-1-1, one, one. Um, but uh, Glossner did lose that fight via decision. I just don't have access to the tape and see how that actually tr transpired. If you were to tell me that he got grapple fucked, I'd absolutely believe you, and I expect Jalen Bates to do the same thing here against Jeffrey Glossner. So th there is a little bit of hesitation on my end, given the lack of tape we have on Glossner, but Jalen Bates, from everything I've been seeing, the kid is uh, a super prospect, I believe, and I think he's going to be a very solid spot uh coming into this fight even as minus 700 go ahead parlay that guy i would rather parlay jalen bates than i would want to parlay diana uh diana asaragova I, I can't wait to, to hear how they pronounce it tonight because i hate pronouncing names incorrectly absolutely hate it all right speaking of fighters that are deserving of a super chalky line we got cody law coming in at minus 800 against nathan garib at plus 500 um I like I like Cody Law, man. The guy has a solid wrestling background. I believe he's from uh, the Pennsylvania area, Penn State, if I'm not mistaken. Um, solid wrestling, trains out of ATT. I, I initially heard about him as he was one of the main training partners of Jorge Masvidal, especially getting ready for Kamaru Usman and, and tightening up his wrestling. But uh, everything that we've seen from him inside the cage so far is very, very impressive. The guy has some decent striking, which is still in development, but has some good power on his shots to really make his opponents respect his game on the feet. And then he mixes in those takedowns and really gets his game going in that aspect too. The guy has a good submission game. I believe he has a dart stroke finish on his record already. Yeah, dart stroke finish in his first fight, uh, her, his first professional fight, I should say. But even on the regional scene, he has two chokes on his record, two decisions, uh, uh, and a KO on his amateur scene. But he has finished both fights. And he showed great cardio in his fight against Kenny Champion, who was a guy that was 2-0 coming into that fight. And we saw Cody Law go out there and just time and time again get the takedown, land some good shots from on top, and then eventually at the end make a sprint for the finish line and was able to get the finish with about 16 seconds left in that fight. So I'm 
one thing that I like to see from these guys is them get extended and see that they actually have the cardio to hold up and not they're not being just these like one and done kind of guys like Luis Cosi, right? Luis Cosi goes out there and just gasses out after four minutes and then he has nothing to give for the rest of the fight. Whereas guys like Cody Law and, and Jalen Bates, you see them go a hard three rounds and able to keep up their dominance from minute one to minute 15. So I like Cody Law in the spot and I think he's very, so, uh, he's a good solid um a parlay piece up even at minus 800 again another solid spot so if you guys are counting Bates and Law already solid parlay pieces moving on to the next fight we got Katz Bell going up against Jornel Lugo this one is a one that I'm having a little bit tougher of a time getting a read on uh Jornel Lugo looks really good on the feet I think he will have this striking advantage here I'm intrigued to see whether Katz Bell uh one goes for the takedowns which i think he should because that's where he'll probably have the advantage but two will he be successful in doing so i'm not 100 sold on that the guy's very you know uh, you know very flamboyant with his uh with his uh personality you know the green hair and all that type of stuff um seemed to show decent striking or distant striking in his last fight uh I'm trying to pull up the guy's name right now uh, or sorry, two fights ago against Pierre de Guzin. Uh, and then uh, la last time around, gets a very tough test, right? You're 4-0, and sorry, 5-0 and going into your sixth fight. And uh, you, t you you draw Rafian Stotts, who's, you know, 13-1 at the time. And a very solid fighter on that regional scene, uh, even in Bellator. <clears throat> so a very tough ask for him there. And then he ends up losing that fight via third round rear naked choke. Uh, I feel like Lugo will have the advantage on the feet, and I think his takedown defense will be good enough to keep it on the feet, and that's where I think he'll start to give Caspell some issues. And uh, in terms of metrics here, Caspell is a pretty tall guy at this weight class. We got 5'10 with a 67-inch reach, and then Jornel Lugo on the flip side is 5'9 with a 73-inch reach. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to this matchup because I do think that Jornel Lugo has a little bit of a uh, a ceiling here. I think that he does uh, have some solid potential, but this is a great fight for both kind of guys that are like pretty much built their names within the, the Bellator cage that are going up against each other. But I do uh, lean Lugo here. Not so keen on that minus 335, though. I think that Bell will definitely uh, show up here, but I'm going to take Lugo eventually to take this fight via decision by outstriking Cass Bell from the outside. All right, let's move on to the next fight that we got here again we're rifling through these prelims i don't want to spend too much time because i do want to spend a little bit more time on the fights that we have a little bit further or at least on the main card uh next up we got talita noguera versus jessica borga seven and two noguera against three and two borga uh uh talita noguera has definitely been staying busy on the grappling scene not so much on the on the uh on the uh, the MMA scene, her last fight was October of 2019 at Bellator 231, where she lost a very close decision to Jesse Miel. Uh, before that, she loses to Julia Budd. That was actually her first ever loss. And if I'm not mistaken, yeah, that was for the featherweight title. So just to come over to Bellator in your second fight and fight the reigning champion in, uh, in uh, Julia Budd, very unfortunate for her and have to go through that. And then eventually she gets finished in that third run. That was July of 2018. She took the Amanda Bell fight a year before that, wins that fight via rear naked choke, very solid jiu-jitsu game, just as we've come to know. Um, but even before that, like her fight, her last fight before coming to Bellator was December of 2013. And again, she stayed very 
uh, consistent and very busy on the grappling scene, rounding out that part of her game. And obviously a black belt. Um, I, I think she'll give Jessica Borga some issue, uh, issues here, who seems to be pretty keen on taking fights to the ground. And that's where she gets most of her work done. She has an armbar victory under her record, but I feel like she's really going to struggle to assert her dominance on top if she chooses to take this fight to the ground. I think Toledo Bernardo has passable striking, but I think that Borga might have the slight advantage, but both girls leave a lot to be desired when we're talking about um, uh, you know, striking acumen here. However, I am going to have to lean with Toledo Noguera. I think she will be successful in getting this fight to the ground and getting her jiu-jitsu game going. And I think soon after, she should be able to find the submission victory. So the, the spot that I'm even looking at for this fight, minus 370 is not too bad. I, I think that you could absolutely parlay that. But even under 2.5, minus 140, I think that's a really good spot as I believe that Toledo Noguera will find the submission uh, within the first two rounds of this fight. So I'll go Noguera round two submission uh all right let's move on to the next one we got dalton rosta versus uh, rosta versus uh tony johnson i believe this is the prelim headliner here and we got another hot prospect in dalton rosta who's a heavy favorite uh coming in as a versus odds minus 675 uh against uh plus two plus 450 for tony johnson now tony johnson his last fight out goes out there and knocks out Mr. Joe Schilling, uh, that was in October of 2019, and that was a fight that was relatively competitive on the feet. We saw um, Tony Johnson give up the majority of that first round and then knock down Joe Schilling at the end. The second round was pretty much Joe Schilling at distance, landing his big strikes, but then once Tony Johnson was able to close the distance and land that beautiful left hook, he shut out the lights of Joe Schilling. The guy seems to have a good striking game, trains out of AKA, uh, but it seems like he's going to be outgunned here when we're talking about an overall MMA game. Dalton Rosta has very good takedowns. He has great top position, but his striking game is coming together very well too. And I think that he uh, has pretty much all the advantages in this fight. They're doing such a good job, uh, Bellator that is, of snatching up these guys nice and young, nice and early, right off the regional scene. And, uh, you know, Dalton Rosta is no no, uh, no exception. You're talking about a guy that was 7-0 on the amateur scene, now 4-0 on the pro scene, uh, finishing three of his four uh, pro MMA fights. There was a knee injury in that first fight, though. But uh, the guy shows all the all the skills that you need to be a very successful fighter. And I feel like this is a good test for him going up against a guy like Tony Johnson, uh, who's 9-2, very tenured at this point in time. But I think that he's going to be completely outgunned. Again, from an overall MMA perspective, I think Dalton Rosta has Tony Johnson covered. I think the closest Johnson can make this fight is if he keeps it on the feet and tries to outstrike him. But I think he's going to have a lot of trouble dealing with this hand speed, uh, the, you know, you know, the again the sorry the speed advantage of dalton rosta here and not to mention his ability to close the distance and land takedown so i like dalton rosta here and i do think he's another one that's very much deserving of that super chalky line that he's currently at all right that brings us to our main card i believe yep that's that's bringing us to our main card let me just quickly go over the chat here because i've been rifling through this shit yeah I'm, i've been on the stream for 27 minutes i think i spent the first seven or so talking to you guys it took me 20 minutes to get through Eight fights. Where's the round of applause? If you guys haven't hit that thumbs up yet, shame on you. Let me uh, wet the whistle again real quick. According to Freddie Freeball, the, the weigh-ins have already started. Is that correct? Oh, fuck, they have. 
Well, ain't that some shit. All right, I'll try to wrap this up as soon as possible so that I can actually get on over to uh, to the weigh-in stream. God damn, that really uh, screws me up. All the websites were saying 12 o'clock. I had somebody in my Discord channel actually tell me that it was going to be uh, 11 o'clock, but I went with what I saw on MMA Junkie and, and MMA Fighting, so that's that's very unfortunate. I apologize, guys. I apologize. But I, I'll, I'll hop over to that as soon as I finish up a Bellator here, so I'll try to squeeze through this as, as quickly as I can. Uh, ba, 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 ba. let me just see what the chat is saying real quick. Um, it, Jace Fabian likes Zingano finish minus one fifty nine. I can't argue with that. Uh, Tim Triano is saying small sprinkle on graph. I don't blame you. You know what I mean? Those odds are just a little bit too crazy. Moyes Audio is saying Zingano round one. She's fighting a soccer mom. I'm getting to that very shortly. Finescott is saying Bates Cat Yamauchi Law Parlay. Can't say I don't. I don't hate that. Uh, my guy MMA locker room is in there. He's like he has uh Carmouche minus one seventy. I don't hate that. I don't hate that. Um, where are we at? Where are we at? Where are we at? Freddie Freeballing. Probably all the dogs on this card win. <laughs> Live like a king. If that fucking happens, that would be crazy. Uh, yeah, hats off to you if you're able to cash that shit, but I highly doubt that's going to be happening tonight. I apologize, buddy. Don't want to burst your bubble or anything like that. <laughs> Give me one sec. All right. Uh, okay. Let's get back to the card here. First up, we got Admiret going up against Gaioti Yamauchi. Uh, Gaioti is coming in at that minus 500, I think it was, minus 535. Admiret at plus 385. Um, I like I like uh, Gaioti here. However, I'm, I'm a little concerned that this fight may play out a little bit closer than I like. Now, Gaioti seems very patient on the feet, very disciplined on the feet, does a good job of maintaining his distance. He has that weird karate stance where he's, um, you know, just gauging his distance and then really lets that left hand go. Very good southpaw position. Usually when he's in his orthodox position, he's looking to kick or he's looking to, uh, you know, spin and all that uh, and land some spinning kicks. Um but for, from the from the southpaw position is usually where he gets his striking going. He has a good uh, kick up the middle to the body, but he is going up against another southpaw here in Dan Moret, who will probably have the same type of approach. Uh, Moret seems to have a little bit more volume and a little bit more output. And during his UFC run, which he went 0-3 in against Gilbert Burns, Alex White, and uh, last uh, Jared Gordon, and then eventually got his pink slip, and then ended up finding Anton Kuvenin uh, in uh, in the UAA, UAE Warriors promotion. Most recently, he gets a finish in that fight. But during his UFC tenure, he seems to be really just going after the grappling, trying to get fighters to the ground and really start to try to control them from that position. But more often than not, he just wasn't successful in doing so. So he took the striking approach in the, the Kuvenin fight, and it worked out for him perfectly i'm expecting to take for him to take the same approach here against yamauchi who will definitely have the the grappling advantage in this fight that kid is a wizard there's a reason he's a number he's the number three fighter in that division uh in the bellator rankings the guy has a ton of skill and uh i'm kind of surprised that he has as many fights as he has uh at the age that he is he's 25 and four only four losses he's 28 years old and we're talking about losses to michael chandler 
Bubba Jenkins, who's just, you know, it, it was almost like the the Kamaru Usman and Damian Maia fight where you have a really good uh, uh, grappler against a really good wrestler, and Bubba Jenkins was able to, to nullify him there, and he lost another decision to Will Martinez. That was back in 2014, but he has solid victories under his belt and very good uh, ability to showcase uh, his his grappling abilities, right? The Daniel Vaicho fight went to a split decision, but I thought he soundly won that as Vaicho was trying to kind of uh, stalk him and walk him down, but he was really having trouble dealing with the issue or dealing with the with the uh, the range and and the striking and the distance striking of Gaioti in that fight. But Gaioti again, if he if you give him his back a little bit, like if he, he clinches up with you or sorry goes for a takedown, changes to a clinch or chains it to get in the back, he's going to jump on your back and more than likely he's going to sink in that rear naked choke. Now Dan Moret has never been submitted in his pro MMA career, but that might be tested a lot. This weekend against, or sorry, tonight against uh, against Gaioti Yamauchi. At the end of the day, I'm still going to go with Yamauchi. I think he ends up getting the getting the uh, uh, either a takedown or at least enough control time to nullify the striking game of Dan Moret, and I think he'll pull away with the decision victory. Uh, it would be nice to see him get a submission, but I think it's going to be tough for him as Dan Moret has shown good uh, submission defense in his last several fights. Um, but the, the issue here is he gave up six takedowns in those three fights in the UFC, and that's just not a good look. I don't think that Gaioti Yamauchi is as crazy wrestler per se, but he does show off some decent takedowns and trips in some of his fights. I think he's going to struggle a little bit to get Dan Moret down here, but I think that takedown will eventually come at least once in two rounds, and uh, once each in two rounds, uh, and, and I think he'll pull away with the decision victory. But uh, I'm a little bit more hesitant in terms of actually uh, parlaying him now. I, I do think he's still gonna win i think he he gets the dub but uh when we have so many other favorites on this card that seem to be way more of a shoe in than this fight like uh gaioti yamuchi and dan moret i'd rather feel comfortable with just kind of leaving him out and just parlaying those other guys that just seem way more of a sure thing than what uh, gaioti yamuchi and dan moret bring to the table so i will go with yamuchi i think he'll win this fight either by decision or submission uh, it doesn't even look like these uh spots have the props out we have three props available according to best fight odds. Minus 170 is the fight doesn't go to decision. So they're probably assuming that Yamauchi snatches up a sub here. But I'll go with decision. Uh, no real confidence in it, but I will take Yamauchi. I won't hate on anybody that has Yamauchi in, his, in a parlay. I think, Like I said, I think he wins. But I think it's going to be a little bit harder of a fight than that minus 535 indicates. Um, and again, there's so many other spots here that you could parlay together that would be a lot safer than uh, taking the stab on Yamauchi here. All right, next up, we got Katzengano versus Olivia Parker. I, I couldn't wait to talk about this fight with you guys. Um, I like... <laughs> Sorry, I just saw this uh, common simp conversation, uh, conversion therapy with Charlie Chad. Better going to KO Machito with this song. God, I love you guys. Um, so yeah, Katzengano versus Olivia Parker. Heavy chalk on Katzengano here. She's coming in at minus 900, plus 600 on Olivia Parker. Uh, my guy Moy's audio hit it on the head earlier. He said she's fighting a she's fighting a soccer mom, and yeah, she is. You know, she uh, Olivia Parker is 39, Katzengano 38, obviously. So she's not too far off from her. But the level of competition and the level of skill is just miles and worlds apart here you know uh, olivia parker will start off on her side here when she's the one getting the victories she's the one bullying her opponents she's the bigger stronger woman in the cage and she's able to just like out muscle these girls and get the victories she has 
So she she started a professional or uh, amateur MMA career in April of 2016, and she strung together nine straight wins, and that's going that's including her professional MMA career. But the uh, of her nine opponents, the combined record is four and nine. <laughs> On the amateur scene, there was only one fighter that had a win out of her five opponents. On the professional scene. Uh, the four fighters that she beat had a combined record of three and nine. Very underwhelming uh, fighters that she's going up against. Very easily she's able to get you know close the distance, clinch up with them, and take them down and uh, pull off a submission or or a TKO. Uh, like the last fight that she won, Carl Carolyn Biscop Rose. She gets a reverse triangle, and you're like, oh. That's nice. That's nifty, right? She must be really good on the ground if she's able to get a reverse triangle. Carolyn Biscop Rowe, fighting her in January of 2020, was 45 years old. <laughs> Didn't look like she knew what the fuck she was doing either. She just seemed like she just picked up MMA the other day, even though she was 2-6 and six going into that fight. Uh, and then when she fights a true fighter, you know, that's somewhat close to a, you know, passable competition, she gets absolutely smoked. She knows, she doesn't have any uh, talent on the feet. She does not like getting hit. You guys thought Malcolm Gordon doesn't like getting hit. Wait, wait till you see Olivia Parker get hit by Kat Zangano here. Or just go back and watch her fight with Chelsea Chandler, where Chandler was able to hurt her to the body pretty much immediately and then nuke her with this beautiful shot down the middle and then follow up with the rear naked choke. Um uh, Olivia Parker is a blue belt in jiu-jitsu. That's why she's able to get the victories over those other soccer moms that she was able to beat. But Kat Singano just got awarded her black belt or a brown belt, I want to say a couple months ago at this point in time. Um, but she's just miles ahead of where Olivia Parker is at this point in time. Now, Kat Singano, a lot of people might be like, okay, you know, she couldn't finish a girl like Gabrielle Holloway. What do, why do you think that she's going to beat a girl like Olivia Parker? Gabrielle Holloway, you know, six and six now, has never been finished in any of her fights. She's a very solid opponent. Uh, you know, she's very durable. She's very resilient, and she was able to get out of, out of very bad positions. But Kat Zingano was finding those dominant positions with relative ease, getting to the full mount, getting to the back, getting these uh, positions where she's able to round down, rain down big shots. And if we had maybe another 30 to 45 seconds in that second round, we'd probably see Kat Zingano get a TKO finish over Holloway that night uh, in that round. But luckily for Holloway, she got saved by the bell. Um, and, uh, you know, Holloway did complete a surprise takedown against Kat Zingano in that third round, but Zingano bided her time, waited for the appropriate moment, and she was able to buck her off and able to end up on the top position and then eventually get dominant position of her own and rain down some big strikes. She didn't win that fight by decision, but I'm expecting her to go back to her old ways, which I mean by eight of her 11 victories have come via finish in the past, and I'm expecting this to go nine out of her 12 victories to go to be via finish to go against Olivia Parker again. Parker is just not up to par here. Her, her record and all that stuff looks great on paper, but once you see this girl fight, she just outmuscles her opponents. She's not going to be able to do that against Zingano here, and I think that Zingano rolls, and I think we see Zingano get a first-round uh, quick finish. All right. Uh, my guy Gunny is in the chat here asking me what's happening to the weigh-in show. I thought it started at 12. So I was trying to get this Bellator stream done with before then. But I will be hopping over to do that show for you guys uh, as soon as I wrap this up. So just bear with me, brother. Bear with me. All right. Um, let's move on to the next fight here. 
Oh, also, sorry. I like Zingano round one, but I also like the under two and a half. And there's reason it got steamed from plus 160 all the way up to about minus 170 now. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's closing around that minus 200 range. Let's see what it's at now. Minus 170 still. Absolutely agree with that line. Just saying. All right, let's go on to the next fight here. We got Jeremy Kennedy versus Adam Borich. This one's a great fight. Probably the fight that I'm looking forward to most considering how competitive it should be. Now, Jeremy Kennedy, I believe he opened uh, he opened as the underdog, and now he's slowly becoming the favorite. Uh, I'm just trying to find... There it is. Oh, it seems to be a pick'em now. But he opened at plus 145, got all the way down to plus one th- or minus 130, and now he's back to a pick'em line here. Very simple matchup to break up in terms of we got a striker versus grappler. We got uh, the great grappling with Jeremy Kennedy, who seems to be taking his uh, career even more seriously now, even after his UFC run, training full-time down there at Extreme Couture in Las Vegas. Very good training camp for him to go out there and make improvements in his game. Adam Borix coming out of Sanford MMA. Great striker, great leg kicker. And if there's one fight that you want to go back and look... If you want to go back and look at one fight in particular to kind of compare to Jeremy Kennedy, no, look no further than his fight against Matt ha- uh, Mike Hamill. If you guys remember Mike Hamill, he just fought Usman Nurmagomedov the other week. Uh, but Mike Hamill pretty much has the same game plan as Jeremy Kennedy. But I'd say that Jeremy Kennedy probably has a better striking game as well. So he'll probably be able to mix in his uh, grappling a little bit better than Mike Hamill was able to. However... Mike Hamill was still able to secure takedowns. He was still able to get some good top pressure and good top control and good damage from on top. But Borgs did a good job of getting back to his feet and really damaging that lead leg of Mike Hamill, which I think really caused him to kind of slow down the later the fight went. However, I think Jeremy Kennedy has a solid gas tank to go up full three rounds to pretty much grapple fuck Adam Borgs to the ground. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen here. However, I, I do think that Borgs is much better on the feet. Um... I think Kennedy's striking is passable, like I said, and it should help him kind of mix in his takedowns a little bit smoother than Mike Hamill was able to. Uh, but, you know, I'm not the most keen on going out there and betting uh, uh, either side in this fight. It will be very competitive. I am expecting Jeremy Kennedy to get his hand raised via decision here. The over 2.5 is minus 205. That's a little bit too chalky for me. But even if you want to look at a prop of Jeremy Kennedy to win by decision, plus, 150, plus 155. Not too bad of a line there. So I'm going to go with Jeremy Kennedy here. I think he wins via decision, um, and, and he's who I like. Uh, I like Jeremy Kennedy in this fight to uh, nullify the, the striking advantage that Borgs has by mixing in those takedowns, those clinch positions, and uh, getting this damn thing going. All right. So I do have two pre-recorded breakdowns. Like I said, I'm going to throw those up for you guys right now. I'll stay active in the live chat with you guys as these breakdowns are going. So I have the Vanessa Porto and Liz Carmouche breakdown about to, uh, that I'm about to show to you guys, as well as the Machida versus Bader ones. I don't want to do it live as I believe that I broke it down perfectly in those breakdowns. So you guys are getting access to that right now. Let's uh, Let me pull that up for you guys. Whoop. I do not like how that looked at all. Let's try that again. Liz Carmouche versus Vanessa Porto. We got minus 170 on the second or sophomore Bellator veteran here. Uh, Liz Carmouche and plus 150 on the debutante Vanessa Porto, who's coming over from Invicta. Um, let's start off with Liz Carmouche, who's making her second walk to the Bellator cage. Uh, she's coming off a successful victory over Deanna Bennett, where that second round looked a little bit iffy. She did end up losing that round. She did enough, in my opinion, 
to win that first round. But the third round is where she was really able to turn it on and then eventually sink in that rear naked choke uh, to bring home her first Bellator victory. So good for her. That night she ended up cashing as a slight favorite there, I believe it was. Oh, actually a huge favorite, minus 675. Uh, definitely didn't look like a minus 675 in that second round. Deanna Bennett had a lot of success in that top position. Uh, Liz Carmouche was coming off roughly a two-year layoff, though, so we do have to cut her a little bit of slack. Her last fight was against Valentina Shevchenko in a fight where, you know, it went all five rounds, but it was pretty much uneventful, right? Um, uh, uh, we had Liz Carmouche on the outside, not really doing the most amount of damage whenever she was closing the distance, but uh, Valentina Shevchenko was pretty much able to keep her at bay with her superior striking. Uh, before that, we did see her have two successful fights against Jennifer Maya and Lucy Pudilova, both girls that were probably going to give her trouble on the feet, but she did a good job of implementing her wrestling and her jiu-jitsu to get the fights to the ground and accumulate enough control time and, and significant strikes on top to get the judges' decision in both of those fights. Vanessa Porto, on the other hand, she's coming over from Invicta as the flyweight champion. She was actually scheduled to defend that title against Karina Rodriguez uh, in, her, in her next fight, um, but uh, Rodriguez ends up missing weight. They make it a non-title fight and uh, gets pushed down to three rounds instead of five rounds, but I will say I think Vanessa Porto got lucky there as if that fight was going to go any further, Rodriguez was probably going to have a ton of success on the feet as she was really starting to turn the tide of that fight the later that it went. Luckily for Vanessa Porto, she was able to secure a couple of takedowns, land some good shots of her own, and she secures the unanimous decision victory um, in that uh, over those that three-round period. But again, the, the momentum was definitely shifting, and we were seeing uh, Porto start to fade a little bit. She got lucky, in my opinion, that it wasn't going any any longer than that. She did go four rounds with Pearl Gonzalez before Pearl uh, inadvertently eye-poked her. They did end up getting a technical decision victory out of that, but she looked great in that fight. She looked great in the Mar Mariana Marais fight, where she submitted her in the first round. Uh, the Milana Dudieva fight, another one where she looked great uh, the later that that fight went. Uh, but then that was, uh, you know, at the beginning of a win streak that she had coming off of two straight losses to Jennifer Maya, uh, obviously, who just lost to uh, Liz Carmouche, as I was talking about. And then against Agnieszka, I'm not even going to try her last name, uh, but she lost that fight via decision, another very close fight. Now, they had their weigh-ins earlier today, and you could definitely see the size difference, right? You got uh, Vanessa Porto coming in at 5'3", with... Uh, um, with uh, Liz Carmouche coming in at 5'6", so she's going to have a three-inch height advantage here. But in terms of the reach, you know, Liz Carmouche will definitely have an advantage there, only one inch. But I think we're going to see the size discrepancy truly come into play here. Now, both these women are 37 years old, and it's definitely more on the the, the, the decline of the career, if anything. But they still show some decent uh, chops when the fight does get to the ground. I didn't really like the fact that uh, Liz Carmouche was having trouble getting back to her feet against Deanna Bedden in that second round of their fight. And I think that if Vanessa Porto is successful in getting her down, she will have the same amount of trouble doing so. Um, they are both black belts in jiu-jitsu, but I think that uh, Liz Carmouche is going to be the stronger wrestler here. And I think ultimately it's going to come down to the physicality of Liz Carmouche to eventually get her hand raised in this fight. I don't think she gets the finish, but I think she, that she'll be able to ground and pin Vanessa Porter up against the cage and then eventually drag her to the ground and really get the top pressure going past the guard, uh, control time, land a couple chip chop uh, or chippy choppy shots, if you want to call it that, just enough to stay active that the referee won't stand it up. Vanessa, I think, has probably the better striking um, or pure striking, I should say. You know, Liz Carmouche does a good enough job 
to stay active enough on the feet, but uh, eventually, more than likely, she does want to get the fight to the ground, and I think that's what she'll be able to do here against Vanessa Portal, who does seem to have, uh, you know, takedown defense issues, and now that she's going up against a big, strong girl like Liz Carmouche, I think she's going to struggle there. However, I'm not, I'm just not the most sold on Carmouche uh, at this point in time that I'd be willing to, you know, play her at that minus 170 line. She could absolutely poop the bed, and I think she has that that UFC tax attached to her name or, or that notoriety attached to her name that people know who she is. And Vanessa Porto is kind of more so of an unknown coming over from Invicta. And even though she was the champ, she did lose a couple fights, right? A lot of people aren't really high on Vanessa Porto or think that she's this crazy fighter, which is why Liz Carmouche is the favorite that she is. Now the line is starting to close a little bit. So maybe people are getting privy to who Vanessa Porto is, but I still think that Liz Carmouche runs away with it, not runs away with this fight, but does get her hand raised in this fight via decision. I think, like I said, her strength, her uh, physicality, her ability to get the fight to the ground and muster up control time here will give her the nod here. And I think the the longer that she's on top, obviously, will be the better for her. But the more it's on the feet, I would have to favor Porto a little bit. She does have a mean uh, leg kick. And if she's able to get that going nice and early, it could uh, prevent... Liz Carmouche from having the most pop on her uh, on her takedown attempts, and it could potentially uh, stifle her takedown game if she doesn't get it going nice and early. But I think she will. She has decent fight IQ. She's going to be the stronger woman, obviously. And I'd be mystified if we don't see her go out there and pursue the takedown within at least the first minute to minute and a half of this fight beginning. So uh, ultimately, I'm going to go with Liz Carmouche to win this fight via decision. All right, there was the Liz Carmouche and Vanessa Porto breakdown. I am going with Liz Carmouche, as you guys obviously saw. Uh, and now I will pull up the uh, Ryan Bader and Leota Machida breakdown for you guys here. Hope you guys enjoy it. And uh, I think you guys are going to want to hear it. Trust me. You guys are going to want to hear it. All right, let's get into this breakdown. Time for the main event of Bellator 256. And it's the first fight of the first round of the Bellator Light Heavyweight Grand Prix. And we got Ryan Bader going up against Lyoto Machida. Minus 290 for Ryan Bader, plus 245 for Lyoto Machida. And Ryan Bader is coming off a loss uh, to Vadim Nemkov, where he lost his light heavyweight title. And uh, now he is in the tournament to hopefully reclaim that title and that championship. If you guys remember, these guys initially fought in August of 2012, where Lyoto Machida was able to knock out Ryan Bader in that second round. After a very uneventful first round, Ryan Bader eventually, you know, says fuck this shit, uh, uh, bursts forward or, or blitzes forward and runs right into the uh, uh, the striking of Lyoto Machida. Exactly what you don't want to do against Lyoto Machida, especially when Machida was in his prime back then. And Machida ends up getting the finish. Uh, both of them have had different careers. Uh, and the UFC after that, but the, both of them ultimately are finding themselves in Bellator now. And Ryan Bader has achieved pretty some solid status. Uh, became a heavyweight champion, light heavyweight champion at the same time, champ champ if you want to call it, uh, but uh, ended up losing uh, the light heavyweight title when he went out there and got knocked out by Vadim Nemkov, like I said last time around. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he is still technically the heavyweight champion, <clears throat> but uh, the last time he had defended it, was against Czech Congo, uh, and that fight ended up going to an old contest where he, uh, you know, th there's a weird eye poke on the during a ground and pound sequence. Uh, very, very weird uh, circumstances there. But uh, next fight, he goes out there uh, just about a year afterwards and then loses his light heavyweight title to Vadim Nemkov. Now, 
I went through this with my Patreon members, and I'm just like, okay, let's dissect Ryan Bader's run in the Bell in Bellator since he's hopped over. Uh, he had his first fight in Bellator uh, in June of 2017, and it's weird as hell that it feels like it, you know, that it was almost four years ago. But his first fight in Bellator was for the title against Phil Davis, and he gets his hand raised by split decision, and that was a very uneventful fight, just like the first one where they had. You know, you had the media split on who should have won that fight. It was a split decision victory in both uh, instances. But uh, luckily for Ryan Bader, he ends up getting his hand raised in both instances and wins that wins that fight. It was just a sparring match, right? Both guys are just throwing out half-assed combinations at each other. I'm sure a couple of good shots landed on both of them, and they were wearing a little bit of damage. But, you know... ...your hair back or really made you say, okay, this guy deserved to get his hand raised that night. So uh, Bader comes out of that very uneventful fight with the strap in, in tow. Then he goes out there and defends it against Linton Vassell, who, you know, doesn't really have the greatest takedown defense and, you know, was able to, uh, and didn't really have the greatest grappling uh, off of his back. And it really, uh, he starts to come, started to succumb to the grappling of Ryan Bader <clears throat> after Bader was able to continuously get him down and then land some beautiful ground and pound and eventually getting him out of there in the second round. Then goes up there against Mohamed Lawal, who at that time in 2018 was way past what we used to know him for. And especially that chin of his was definitely long gone by that point, which is why he was able to, uh, or which is why Ryan Bader was able to go out there and knock him out within 15 seconds. Next up, Matt Mitrion, no takedown defense, no ground game. Uh, Ryan Bader pretty much goes out there and 30-24s him uh, with a very dominant grappling and wrestling heavy game plan. Next up, Fedor Emelianenko, 2019 Fedor Emelianenko, who had already been knocked out a handful of times leading into that fight. He goes out there and gets knocked out in 35 seconds. Uh, then the Czech-Congo fight. It looked like it was going to be a quintessential Ryan Bader heavyweight matchup, which was you know the Matt Mitrion fight where he's able to get guys to the ground and just grind them out. That's what it seemed like it was going to end up being. But unfortunately, that uh, weird eye poke happened, and uh, you know that fight gets ruled a no contest. Then he goes up there against a guy that's you know, somewhat closer to his prime, uh, has solid takedown defense, has very good striking himself, and then he gets knocked out. Now with Leona Machida, you're getting a guy who's obviously 42 years old at this point in time. If I'm not mistaken, he might actually be 43. He's 42. He'll be 43 at the end of May. Uh, but he's had four fights in the, uh, in Bellator now. He goes out there and wins a split decision against Rafael, Car or Rafael Carvalho uh, and then knocks out Chael Son in the fight preceding that. Uh, then goes on on a two-fight skid. But if you watch those fights, they're very close fights. Again, they go to split decisions. If you go to MMA decisions, one of the rounds in each of those fights is 50-50. So you're talking about a toss-up, a, a coin flip, that if it went, you know, if one of the judges or uh, another one of those judges actually went to the, to the Machida side, he's coming out of those fights with a win. The Gegard Musasi fight, right? Probably the most dangerous striker that he's fought in a long time. And he, you know, stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with him and had some uh, good exchanges. Uh, Gayard was pushing the pressure a little bit more. Uh, and he did land some good shots on Machida. And Machida's durability seemed to hold up. Uh, Phil Davis, that fight, we didn't see too much grappling in that uh, fight. There was one attempt from Phil Davis, but we saw Leon Machida able to stuff that takedown and get back to his feet. And that was primarily played out on the feet. And that third round was pretty much all Machida. He had a lot of success in that round with his crown and striking and with his head kicks. Um, 
Gegard Musasi did have success, and it wasn't a takedown that he landed. It was actually a trip or or a, a slip on Machida's part, which ended up with him on his back. And then uh, Gegard pretty much just went on top of him. I believe this was closer to the ending of the second round, and we saw uh, Musasi land some good strikes from on top. But again, takedown defense doesn't look that bad over his last couple fights. You know, it's seeming it's seeming to hold up. So if Ryan Bader Ryan Bader wants to take that approach, I think he's going to be in for a little bit of trouble in trying in terms of trying to cons consistently take down Machido over a five-round period. If this fight does end up in the striking realm, then it's more of a 50-50 fight, right? I think that Phil Davis brings a little bit more uh, brings a little bit more to the table when we're talking about striking, and I'm talking about diversity of strikes, not just the hands. You got the kicks coming up the middle that were very consistent and a lot of volume from it, which allowed him to, you know, in my opinion, get that victory over Lyoto Machida, whereas Ryan Bader, when he's on the feet, what's of his strikes are coming from his hands. You know, he he does have a lot of power in his hands, as we've seen in past fights. Um, but again, when he's forced to stand, like he was against Phil uh, Phil Davis in his Bellator debut, uh, it was all hands. That was that's all it was. Now, if you're going to try to you know basically just go strike for strike against Lyoto Machida, he's going to probably walk into one of those counters. So I'm a little bit uh, mystified as to why the line is as wide as it is. And that's probably just me nitpicking the, the Bellator career of Ryan Bader. But I don't think it's been as dominant as most people have been making it sound, right? Like it's just the level of competition that he's been going up against, which is allowing him to go out there and have these dominant type performance like he had against Matt Mitrione and knocking out Fedor and knocking out um, uh, King, King Mo the way that he did. Lyoto Machida is still kind of competitive in his fights. And that's why I'm like, why is he plus 245? Why is he plus 250? I think, uh, you know, this is closer to a 40, uh, 45, 55 Ryan Bader fight, or even a 50-50 fight if this stays on the feet. Uh, and over five rounds, you know, each round could be a toss-up if you, it could go one way or the other if Bader's not able to complete his takedowns, which I think he's going to struggle with here. So I, I can't believe I'm saying it, but I, I actually think that she has a good shot of winning this fight. Whether it's via KO, not to mention that Ryan Bader is, is coming off a KO loss. Uh, and that fight, I believe, wasn't that long ago. He, Yeah, that was August of 2020. So, yeah, okay. We're talking about uh, eight months ago. So, yeah, maybe he has, uh, or just under eight months ago since it was closer to the end of August. Uh, so, yeah, that's a solid amount of time to take, take off from the sport to recover from a knockout the way that he did. And it wasn't just a knockout, right? It was like consecutive concussive blows that he was uh, taking in that fight because the referee, uh, Kerry Hatley, in that fight was giving him all the chances that he could get. He got dropped multiple times. And then eventually, I think it was the third one that eventually uh, Kerry Hatley was like, all right, this is enough. You're not coming back from this. Um, but yeah, the one concern, though, about Machida that I have going into this fight is the the somewhat lack of volume at times. He does let his opponent kind of run away, uh, and, you know, he fights a little bit too close. Um, he does let his opponent, uh, you know, have the more output. I'd like to see a little bit more counter-striking from him, just like we used to be, uh, used to know from Lyoto Machida back in the day. So I'm hoping that we, we can see that here in, uh, against Ryan Bader. But over five rounds... Uh, Machida could squeak out three here again if it's primarily a stand-up fight. I, I think that Machida could could definitely go out there and, and get the dub. So I, I don't mind a plus two fifty stab on Machida here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna you know take my balls out for you guys and uh, go with uh, Lyoto Machida here at plus two fifty uh, and take him to win this fight by decision. Again, it wouldn't surprise me if he goes out there and knocks out Ryan Bader either. 
uh, plus 550, I think, is the prop that's there. And I think that's not too bad of a line. But uh, yeah, I think Machida is still capable of putting on a solid performance. We've seen that just in his last two fights against Phil Davis and Gegard Musasi, who I think, you know, Musasi definitely the better striker than Phil or Ryan Bader. May not have as much power than him at, the, at this point in time, but definitely the better fight or the striker. And we saw Machida go to a split decision with him and make it very competitive uh, too. So. And again, if he didn't slip in that second round, how would the rest of that round have gone? This is MMA at the end of the day, right? He might slip under Bader and Bader might be able to, you know, ground and pound him to a finish or something like that. But I do not agree with this line. I'm going to go with uh, uh, Machida here. I know he's close to 43 years old, but uh, Ryan Bader is up there as well. I believe he's 37, close to being 38. He'll be 38 at the, uh, at the beginning of June. So, you know, he's definitely getting up there in age too. So... Uh, yeah, I'll go Lyoto Machida to win this fight via decision. Bring on the hate, but uh, you, you're giving me these types of odds. And considering how Machida has looked as of late, you know, he hasn't completely lost a step. The only concern I have, like I said, was his output and his volume. If he can take that up a little bit more, or at least just, uh, you know, uh, really allow Bader start to fall into the traps that Lyoto Machida can still create, then uh, I, I think it definitely goes uh, a lot more in the favor of the dragon here. So I'm going Lyoto Machida via decision. I just realized I'm on mute. Uh, so am I crazy? Uh, am I talking out of my ass here? Um, you know, I think that I don't think that the, the line is accurate here. I think we're getting some value on Machida. His durability has looked decent. You know, last time he got knocked out was over four years ago. Uh, yeah, I, I lean I lean Machida here. I think the, the value is on him. I think he's a good dog spot tonight. And I think he might ruin a lot of parlays. I think a lot of people are going to be going out there and parlaying Ryan Bader. And I think he, he might get upset here. So... Yeah, I like Bader, or, or sorry, I like Machida. I'll take him by decision. But I did say last night on the prop and you up show, plus 550 for that KO prop is not too bad. You got 25 minutes of Machida, who's never really had bad cardio issues. And uh, again, if his takedown defense can stay somewhat good, uh, it, it will remain on the feet. And we could see possibly this fight play out closer to 50-50 than what the odds currently indicate. All right, I'm going to hop off the stream real quick, and I'm going to hop back on for the, uh, the weigh-in stream. Uh, I'll give you guys. I'll drop that. Um, I'll drop that link into the chat right now, so you guys can hop over there. But uh, I, I do want to watch the wins with you guys, and 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 uh, hopefully the last one hasn't. Uh, hopefully the last one hasn't hopped on the scales yet. But that's what I'm going to be doing. So yeah, uh, appreciate you guys joining the show. I'm probably going to have this on an audio platform as well. So just shout out to uh, the sponsors. Coolbet.com. Uh, uh, Promo code MMALOTN number two. They match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks. Great website. They had Leona Machida at plus 266 on there. So that's something to, to look at if, if that's something that you want to do. I'm not sure what he's currently at on their website, but he was plus 266 yesterday. Uh, also, the Patreon, patreon.com slash MMALOTN. Link is in the description below. Best way to support your boy is through there, five bucks a month. Again, doing this thing full time now. Uh, and that that's definitely a huge part there as well. So, yeah. Uh, I am going to hop on over to the Wayne stream. Uh, if you guys have Bellator questions, you're more than welcome to drop them over there, and I'll be happy to answer them for you guys over there. But let's go over to the Wayne stream. See you guys over there. <laughs> 